that we've heard down through the years, and they're all true. We could repeat all of those things, Father God, a million times over without taking a breath. We could do all of that. Well, we couldn't do that because we got to breathe. But I, I think he understands what we mean, right? If all we ever did was repeat praises of God, would it be enough? No, if we tag team, because I, I lost my breath and he's got plenty, would it be enough? No, it wouldn't be enough. It, it's, that's why in heaven they are continuously praising. Because there's never, it's throughout eternity. That's how much time we need to give him exactly what he deserves. And eternity never ends. So if eternity never ends and we would need all of that if there were time there, how much, does that explain how much he deserves? Because they never stop. There are no tag teams. Nobody takes a break because they don't need to. He's just that worthy. He's just that worthy. He's just that worthy. Seems like lately, everybody that I talk to, there's a general consensus of exhaustion. Everybody's tired, right? If, is everybody, is anybody tired? You know what I wanted to do this morning? I wanted to lay in the bed and watch Downton Abbey. That's, that's what I felt like doing. That's what I felt like doing. Not because I didn't love God, not because I didn't want to come to church, not because I didn't want to be around people, but because I'm just tired. And the problem with when you're tired is that you don't feel like doing anything, right? You don't feel like doing any of the things, even the things that you know you should do. You know you got to wash the clothes, but you don't feel like it. So do you do it? Maybe. Maybe not. It's a coin toss, right? You don't feel like it. The problem also with being exhausted is that when you are physically exhausted, sometimes other emotions are waiting for their turn to be present in your life because you're already in a state where you don't feel like fighting off. You don't feel like it. You don't feel like it. But even in those moments, this is why joy is important because you can be exhausted and still have joy. And the reason that you can still have joy even in your exhaustion, whatever the reason for your exhaustion is, is because joy is not natural, happiness is. You know how fast you can get happy over something and then when that's something that makes you that doesn't make you happy anymore. When that is absent, you're not having in your heart to it. Lord, I receive it. I'm exhausted, but I'll receive your joy. You don't have to have a smile on your face to have from God. And when somebody offers you a gift, your job is only to receive it. So this morning, I know you're tired. I'm tired too. I am. I could lay down on this platform right now, but I don't think nobody wants to see that. We're tired, and it's okay to acknowledge that we're tired. But this morning, we are going to engage in the joy that was waiting for you when you got here. I hope you felt it on your way here. I hope you dreamt about it last night. I hope somebody mentioned it in a conversation that you were having. Even if they were talking about the lack of it, it was mentioned. I hope that somewhere throughout your week or just this morning, joy came to you in some kind of way. And if it didn't, that's okay. It was waiting on you when you got here. So this morning, we're not going to sit we're not going to look at each other. No, we're going to engage in this. We are going to receive it, and we are going to cultivate it. We're going to call. That's our job, and it's an easy thing to do. All you got to do is agree. Just go with it.
You don't have to do jumping jacks. Although, we got plenty of floor space. If you got to take off running because that thing hit you, let it happen. Let it happen because it's a good thing and it is a gift. Everybody, just raise, raise a hand, shake your arms. Just loosen up a little bit. Loosen up because we fit to sing. We fit to receive. We fit to cultivate. We're going to feel this joy in here this morning. I need it. I need it. I don't know about anybody else, but I need it. Answer, answer, bye-bye. 
What's the, what's the opposite of being exhausted? Strength, hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your joy, oh God. Bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Bless your holy name, Jesus. Joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, 
remember that? This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. So if the world didn't give it, then the world can't take it away. If the world didn't give it, then the world can't take it away. Tell yourself that. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on. Jesus, there's going to be glory. Church, there's going to be glory. There's going to be glory. There's going to be glory. There's going to be glory after this. Yes, we go through it, but there's glory. There's glory. There's glory. There's glory. There's the glory of the King. There's the glory of wholeness, the glory of no tears and no pain, and a voice to sing His praise. There's glories of tens of thousands of angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb of God who rose again. Worthy to receive glory. Come on, church, let's not... Let's not wait for glory to give Him some glory. Let's not wait to get to heaven before we call out to heaven. Hallelujah, Daddy. You're worthy. Daddy, we can't do it. We must be crying out. We can't do it in our own strength. But the joy that comes from you is our strength. Daddy, we've been talking all morning about being weary. Weary in body and weary in spirit and weary in heart, Lord God. But there's a truth in this room. What we just cried out is true. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. Jesus, you are the truth. You are the way. You are life itself. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Circumstance is not greater than you. Situation is not more powerful. There is not a giant stronger than you. Not a Jericho higher than you. You are more powerful. There is not a sea you can't open. There is not a water, a flood you can't walk on. There is not 
a blind eye you can't open, a deaf ear that you can't make hear. There's not one thing in this world that is impossible for you to do. So we trust you, and we know that's where joy comes from. We trust in you. We can't, but you can. So regardless of what we're going through today, Daddy, we trust you. Whether we are in the valley of a shadow that looks like death, or we are on the mount of a transfiguration moment where you are bright and shining. Father, whether we are in a field or whether, whether we are at home in bed, Daddy, we know this today, that you and you alone are worthy of praise. Your name has power, authority. We do not serve a philosophy. We do not, we do not celebrate an ideology. We worship a living Savior who died and rose again and is in this world today, who has ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead and take his children home. Jesus, come. Be praised. Be praised in our hearts. Be praised in our minds. We praise you. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. And everybody said amen and amen. Can we give them glory just for a moment? Just give them glory. Tell them something you're thankful for. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your goodness and your love. So deep and so wide. Church, before we uh, go any further, we're, we, we let the kids go and we take a seat and we get into the Word. We're going to take a moment and we're going to do some prayer together. I know we just prayed. I know we just worshiped. But we're going to do some focused intercession for a moment. Intercession is when you actually stand in the gap for someone else other than yourself. That you stand knowing a problem and saying that our God is bigger than that problem. Knowing that there's pain, but knowing that he is Jehovah Rapha, the God that brings healing to pain. I don't know how you responded when you saw the video of Tyree Nichols this week. Maybe you didn't see it. But I literally gasped and lost my breath in the middle of it. And so we're going to intercede today. There are people hurting. We're going to intercede for Tyree's family and friends. We're going to intercede for the city of Memphis. We're going to intercede for people all over our nation, all over our world who have been impacted by this situation, by this heinous execution. Because that's what you watched. We're going to intercede for our black community, our black family, who yet again is mourning through the loss of yet another young star, young man of God who they lost and a long list of names and I know church I know that in moments like this in times of cumulative grief and compounded weariness when things like this happen when we're tired like Shayla said and our spirit is dull and we're just trying to get up in the morning it's easy to allow this to be displaced for a second. As Pastor John wrote yesterday, for, our, for us to just put a band-aid over our heart. But we can't do that this morning because we're children of God. 
We can't do that because we are the church. Because when one mourns, we all mourn. Because I don't need to know Tyree Nichols in order to mourn for him. I don't need to know him in order to stand in the gap for him. Because see, when God made humanity, the Bible says God said, let us make man in our image. That means we reflect, stay with me, that means we reflect the best part of God when we reflect it as us. Tyree was us. It's us. I don't need to come from where he came from. I don't have to be from the same racial background. I don't need to have the same socioeconomic type to be a part of us with anybody. So church, we're going to stand in the gap. We're going to pray heaven down. There are people hurting today. I believe many people in this room are hurting. I know people online are hurting. I'm hurting. I'm hurting for this country that does not understand the sanctity of life so deeply that all of us are not mourning after watching one of us one of us a reflection of his image so mistreated and so disgraced and so treated without dignity I ask you come on will you just reach out your hand just we're just going to do it if you feel comfortable in unity together daddy I thank you that you made you made Tyree in the image of the king I thank you Lord God that he it's not invisible to you that the pain of those of his friends, his family, his community, it's not vacant from your ears that the cry of those people reaches the heaven above. And so we, together as Connect Church, the we of this body, the we of this part of us cries out to you. We join with our voices and say, my God, bring healing, bring healing, bring healing, bring healing, bring healing, God. Change our country. Change our lives. Change the way that we see each other. Change the way that we care for one another. Change the way that we love one another. For those who are in pain, bring healing. Those who are in anger, bring peace. Those who don't believe change can happen, bring hope, my God. Stir something in your people. The enemy is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is a destroyer. He is a robber. But you've come to have life and life more abundantly. So I pray for revival in the city of Memphis. I pray for revival in this country. I pray for revival in our churches and out of our churches that people may come to know you, the hope of all. We are made in your image. Help us to remember to treat each other the way that we would want you to treat us. We give you the glory and the honor. We mourn and yet we have hope because you are still on the throne, Jesus. We don't trust in the White House. We don't trust in the Supreme Court. We don't trust in a political party. We trust in the Savior of the world. Let your kingdom come. 
Let your will be done in Jesus' name. Come on, church, and everybody said amen and amen and amen and amen. Amen. Hey, I am so glad you're here this morning. I don't know how you navigated your week, but I hope today by encountering Jesus, it'll help you navigate this next week even better. If you're a guest here today, we want to welcome you. If this is your first or second time coming to Connect, thank you for coming and being here with us. Just stop one of the pastors, say hi, let us know that you're here. Give a shout out to everybody who's online today. We love you guys. Thank you so much. We know some of you are, are struggling with sickness. Some of you are at work. Some of you are on vacation. And some of you are just home for the Eagles game. Come on, somebody. But we love you anyway. All right, guys. Hey, kiddos, can you follow? Oh, Vito's coming. Vito's coming. Vito's coming. There's a flag coming. There's the sign. Can you follow the sign out? Give every hey guys, can you give our kids ministry a hand as they're going out? And as you're being seated, take a moment, say hi to somebody around you. Give somebody a high five, an air high five, a fist bump. Tell them you love them. Jesus. Us, we are made in his image and we reflect him the best when we reflect him as the us. That's why church should be a reflection of us, of white and brown and Hispanic and AAPI and everything in between. Us, what a reflection of our king. Before I hop in, let me just say one last thing. Don't, sometimes we see so much tragedy at times that we flip the channel. It's easy to do, we flip the channel. And we don't just do it on their TVs, we do it in our own hearts and our own minds. Because we're, we're, all, we're all going through something. And when we are not impacted personally by, with something, it's easy to let it go by us. And that's why we have to see everyone as the us. Don't let things go by you. Take a moment. Pray. Be who we've called, been called to be. The hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Speak light into that darkness. You are not powerless. You are the people of God. You are not defeated. You are not a victim. You may have been victimized, but you are not a victim. You are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. We are designed and called to bring light into the dark world. We are not patsies who sit back and lie down and take it. I'm not talking about attacking someone. I'm talking about recognizing the plan of the enemy against a people, against a, a, a place, against uh, humanity, against a country, against loved ones, against your marriage, against your children. Man, you got to recognize the schemes of the enemy. And the Bible says, put on the armor of God and and take your stand. 
I'm not saying take your stand on social media. I'm not saying take your stand by complaining about people. I'm saying if we're going to stand, let's stand on our knees. Let's get in front of the king. Let's just do some warfare in the heavenlies and rip down. Come on, Daniel was thrown in a lion's den because there was a prince of darkness over that country, over that power. The God of this age is still influencing the people in this age. Oh, I, I, I'm going I'm to get in the word, but you, we are not weak. What I'm talking about is not a political thing. It's a human thing. It is not a racial thing. It is a spiritual thing. We, 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 we are us. We are us. We are us. I cannot condemn those who watched the Nazis destroy a particular race of people for not intervening. When I stay on the sidelines and don't intervene because I don't see them as one of us. We are the children of God. Well, let's hop into the word today because I'll preach that whole message and that's not the message. It is the message for today. But I hope you brought your Bibles and since you brought your Bibles, are you ready for the word? Because I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I hope you can tell I'm ready today. I just had to actually impart that I believe that's a spiritual impartation. That is not Pastor Kyle's opinion. That is a spiritual impartation. Whether we receive it or not is up to us. But since you brought your Bible, why don't you open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians is the seventh book of the New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to the church at Corinth. And it's not just written to the church at Corinth, like all of his epistles, they're written to the church throughout time and throughout space. And so this book speaks to you and I as the church, the we. If you need a title for today's message, it's No Place Like Home. No Place Like Home. And over the last couple of weeks, if if you've been here, you know that we've been talking about how Jesus is making us into a we into the ecclesia, into the church of Jesus Christ, the we he wants us to be, that Jesus currently is building his church. That's what the Bible says, that in this day and age, right here, right now, in this nanosecond, Jesus is building his church, and that there are things that he needs to work out of us and things that he needs to work into us so that we can be the church that he says in Matthew 16, 18, that will prevail Against the gates of hell. That's who he is creating us to be. That means, and that means, look, that we can't do it alone. We can't do this thing called be the church by ourselves. And I'm not talking about an institution. Church is always plural. It's always us. And if you've missed a, few, a week or two, can I really encourage you to go back and watch the podcasts that are online? Because we are building something here so that we understand what we have been designed to be. Line upon line, we're building it, and we're going we're gonna to finish it up today, I hope. And today, I'm hoping to be able to help us see 
who we've been called to be, and who we, if this is your church, are going to be, because this is who God and who Jesus, who Jesus died for us to be. It's who he's building us into being. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, we're going to hop right in. It says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, that means when you stand before Jesus or when he comes, he will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test that sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as if through fire. That means you're going to get in heaven, but have no reward. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That you is plural. If, if, I, was, if I was back in the south, it would be y'all. Don't you know that y'all are the temple of God? The spirit of God is in y'all. That's actually what it's saying here. Now look what it says. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and y'all are that temple. I love this verse. There should be some hallelujahs. God made you a temple of his. This is amazing. First, let me just say this one truth, that this is not talking about salvation. That is dealt with at the cross and our willingness to surrender to the lordship and make Jesus Lord and Savior of our life. If I, believe, if I confess with my mouth or believe in my heart that Jesus, Jesus died and rose again, I will be saved. What he's talking about here is how we live out our lives, build our lives upon the American dream or God's dream. Our dreams are our Savior's dreams. Our church's dream or God's dream for his church. How we, as his people, as his church, decide to work out our salvation into the world around us. And that means there are some things that God, that Jesus right now is going to have to work out of us and work into us so that we can join him in doing what he's doing, which is building his church. And that's okay. That's what we've been learning. There's just some stuff, some, some things that we've uh, grown up around, some ideas, some cultural norms, some generational ideas that just need to get out of us. And there are some things that need to get into us so that we can join Jesus in doing what he's doing, which is changing the world. So how do we do this? I think one of the ways that we need to grab a hold of today is that we work out a, a, out a home, not simply a house. We need to work out a home. Church needs to be a home, not simply a house. In the, in the words of our favorite ruby slippered teenager from Kansas, come on somebody, there's no place like home there's no place church should be a home come on the truth is one of the most majestic miracles of all is that God took ordinary broken people like you and I made us new through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and shows us so that when we come together he makes us his dwelling place he makes us his temple his house this is what this verse is promising us this is what Jesus is trying to work into us church is not a meeting place church is not an institution church is not a Sunday event church is us this is what God has tried to change in us so to be honest there are some things that he needs to work out of us if he's going to build a home through us 
Probably many of you, if you're like me, or grew up in this uh, kind of northeast area, you may have referred, growing up, you, may, you probably referred to church as the house of, uh, house of God, the house of the Lord. I gotta, I gotta go, I'm going to house of the Lord, I've got to go to the house of God today. And I love how David says in Psalm 27, this is a man after God's own heart, and I pray this would be our heart as well. This one thing that I have asked of God, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in God's house all the days of my life. What a heartbeat. What, what would change in us if our heart would change towards God to say, man, I just want to be us. I just want to be around us. There's not anything that's going to keep me from being a part of us, not a part of Sunday morning, just making sure we're at church, doing our religious duty. I'm talking about the us that God's trying to make us become. And this thing that we're talking about, it is a house. Like when we think about church, it is a house. It has structure and culture that the father of the house has set. It's a source of sustenance and provision. It's a shelter in the midst of the storms of our lives. It's a place where we learn the boundaries of what we can do, what we should do, and what we don't do when we're living in this house. I know some of you probably have a picture in your head like I do of one of your parents saying, we don't do that in this house. I don't care what Johnny does in Johnny's house because Johnny's mama does not pay this mortgage. We don't do that in this house. That's how God sounds in my head, hopefully not in yours. But this is a house, and it should be a place of where you can rest your head while you're going through pain and sickness. A place where we build relationships with family and maybe even have disagreements with family. But ultimately, it is a house in which his presence dwells. And because of that, it makes this place, this gathering together, this movement of people going in a common direction for a common cause, it makes it sacred, it makes it holy, it makes it incredible, it makes it valuable beyond measure. It's why Psalm 84 says, better is one day in the courts of God than a thousand anywhere else. You could have courtside seats to the Sixers, you could have 50-yard line seats to the Super Bowl, there's better to be in the house of God. It is better to be in the house of God than anything else in all the world. This is why Jesus made it his custom to be in God's house and to be about God's business. Why? Not because it was his duty, because it was his passion. He understood how valuable and how special it was that God would dwell with people. Yet, if we're honest, all of us know there's a difference between a house and a home. A house and a home. If you grew up in this area, probably somewhere along the line, you either rented a house down the shore in the summer or visited a house down the shore in the summer or or had a friend who had a house on the shore in the summer. And that's awesome because when you rent a house down down at the beach, it's fantastic. You love it. You, you, you love to go, you appreciate it, you value it even more the closer it is to the boardwalk so you don't have to walk even further because it benefits you. But all of us know that that house, although it's lovely, is not a home. Whenever I was down the shore and walking on the boardwalks and I decided to go back, I'd be like, hey, I'll meet you at the house. I'm going back to the house. Why? Because it was functional but not familial. It was functional, but it wasn't about family. And this is so easy for the church to become this for you and I, 
where these moments, these times when we gather together, where this becomes a house. We appreciate it, we recognize it, we value it, and we probably value it more when it benefits us more. But we are called to make this more than a house. We are called to make it a home. Listen to the heartbeat of our God in Psalm 68, verse 5. He says, our God is a father to the fatherless. A protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. In a home, church. In a home. This isn't just about function. This is about family. This isn't just about a place. This isn't about a house. It's about a home. The reality is there are temples all over the world, especially in Jesus' time, even in our own time, where people go to try to win God's favor because gods are distant from us. That even in the Jewish uh, culture, the high priest was only allowed to go into the Holy of Holies to see God once a year, and that's on Yom Kippur, so he could make atonement for the sins of the nation. But Jesus flips that idea upside down. It's not about us coming to a temple, but him dwelling in us as his temple so that we can do what he is doing and make a home for people, for spiritual orphans, for widows who have lost everything, for the lost and the lonely in our world to make them a home. Is, by the way, isn't that what Jesus is doing right now for you and I? Because John 14 says, don't be afraid. I'm going to go away, and I'm going to make you a home. So if God is making you and I a home, and that's what he's doing, and discipleship isn't just doing what Jesus did, it's doing what Jesus is doing, come on somebody, then we should be making his house a home for people. And the truth is, when we talk about the temple of God or the tabernacle of God, the tabernacle was not simply a shadow of Jesus. That's a different message for a different day. We're going to teach through all that. But it is a shadow of us. It's a shadow of us, a blueprint on how to worship God and how to make a home for the orphaned heart. When we look at the tabernacle and the temple, and there's going to be a picture on the screen, you're going to see that there's three main areas. There's the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And it's not an accident that the word here reveals that this is Jesus' will for the church. That somewhere along the way, we need to understand what this is so we understand what this is. This was not just a place where they went to get forgiven. Jesus said, this is who you are meant to be. It's why we have to understand that these three places represent places of sanctity, ministry, and intimacy. And we can experience each of those individually. Like the first thing that we do when you come into the temple or the tabernacle is you encounter the sacrifice of the lamb on the altar. That means there's a forgiveness, there's a grace that you and I encounter. And we get washed by the labor, by the water of the Holy Spirit. Then we get to enter in to the holy place so that we can minister praise to God for all of his goodness. Then we get to go through the veil that was torn in half and have intimacy with the God of heaven himself. That's what we individually get to do. But it's also what we need to help make. So this is how we make orphans feel at home. 
we always start with meeting them, like Jesus does with us, with sanctity. The first thing that you run into is this and forgiveness. We meet people through this grace and forgiveness. We need to be washed in the labor of God's love. All are so valuable that the Lamb would die for all of us, regardless of how we come. The blood doesn't ask what sins we've committed. It simply covers the sinner. And God certainly doesn't cleanse us because we are righteous. God cleanses us because he is righteous. And this, and it's this recognition that grace is the place from which we meet every person that opens the door for all, not merely to feel welcomed, but for all to be embraced. We have a very welcoming church. It's great to have you. But I don't want to end at being welcomed. We need to make you welcome someone into your house. You embrace somebody when you're at home. This is what was missing when those men met Tyree Nichols. The sanctity of his life. That his life was as special and as valuable and as sacred as theirs was. They missed seeing the sanctity of him being an image bearer of God himself. In order to make this a home, we need to greet people with sanctity first. Then we can help orphans find their home. By stepping beyond the borders of our individual sacrifice and into the ministry of the priesthood of all believers. Not the ministry of the priesthood of the clergy, the ministry of the priesthood of all believers. See, once you get inside the holy place, there are three things that are in there. There is the golden lampstand, there's the altar of incense, and there's the table of showbread. That means that this home that we are building... That we need to shine so much light with joy and peace and kindness. We need to shine so much light in this place that when people come, they are not afraid of the darkness. Where our focus is being lifted up to God like the incense that rose off of the altar. Where whatever we give them comes from this table, comes from the table of God, from the bread of life, from communion with Jesus. Not from our opinion, not from our theology, not from our prejudice, not from our politics. We give people Jesus. We don't make them earn Jesus. Jesus didn't make you earn him. You give them Jesus. You take the bread of life from the table that he gave to you, and you take it and give it away. There's ministry that needs to get done. We need to create a home like the lampstand where we shine the light of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit that dwell in each one of us. So that when they come in, there's no darkness at all. Doesn't mean we don't go through dark times. It means we trust in the light and not focus on the dark. Listen, as a church, we got to stop screaming at the darkness and light a candle. Come on, all of us have been to picnics before. Anybody been to picnic? I've been to a picnic. If you grew up in church, you go to potlucks. And that's where everybody brings something, right? And when everybody brings something, man, you've got a feast. But all of us been to the picnic, and all of us have that guy. The guy who was supposed to bring the ice, but doesn't bring the ice. And it's like 9 million degrees in the middle of a Jersey summer. You're out there sweating like you're standing in Hades itself, right? Drinking warm drinks because the guy didn't bring 
the ice. Hey, church, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Bring what you got. How do we make this a home? We fill it with the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the self-control that the Spirit is birthing in us during the week. We fill it with the gifts of the Spirit of healing and, and encouragement and hospitality and giving and words of knowledge and words of wisdom to help people understand and get the breakthrough. We lay out such a spread of the Spirit of God that it feeds their very soul. It's a smorgasbord of spiritual life. This is why we are not unempowered. This is why he made us the temple because 1 Corinthians 12 7 says the spirit is in each one of us and gave each of us gifts for the profit of all. That means you've got some ice to bring. Don't be that guy. And we help the orphans not just through doing ministry but by us having intimacy with God. Not being religious, but intimate. And not expecting them to be intimate, but it's us bringing our intimacy with us that we have with God and extend to them. The truth is, when we are intimate with God outside of these settings, it allows these places and these times for us to be vulnerable and for vulnerability to happen. It creates a sacred and safe place for everyone. One of my favorite stories in, in, is in the Bible is about Thomas in John chapter 20. Many of you know this, may be familiar with the story of Doubting Thomas. The Bible says after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he showed up to his disciples. But Thomas wasn't there. Thomas shows up, he's like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. The Bible says eight days later, while they were still together in the upper room, then Jesus shows up for Thomas and his life has changed. This cat did not believe what they all believed, but it was their encounters with Jesus that gave him the space, the grace, the mercy, the patience, come on somebody, the long suffering to give him the opportunity for Jesus to show up to him. He didn't need to believe everything right away. He didn't need to come in and be like, I got it all, let's go. Their encounter with Jesus. The reality is, my friends, sometimes we have to be uncomfortable in our own house in order to make it a home for others. I'll say it again. Sometimes we have to be uncomfortable in our own house to make it a home for others. Do you know why I know we're called to do it? Because it's what Jesus did for us. It was his sacrifice. He put himself on the line to die so that when he died, the Bible says that the veil that separated humanity from God in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus sacrificed himself, it opened a door, a pathway to enter into intimacy with God that you and I never had before. Jesus had to be uncomfortable to turn his house into a home. How uncomfortable are we willing to be? You all right with people speaking in tongues? You all right with people running around when they get a little Holy Ghost in them? You all right with somebody shouting back, lifting their hands, not lifting their hands? You okay if someone votes Republican or someone votes Democrat? If someone votes for oh, the guy before? 
Oh, no, 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 this is real. You want to talk about how the devil splits churches? Right there. Pastor D and I were talking about this the other day, and she follows someone who just adopted a child who had been orphaned and was from a race different from the, pa- the, pe- the parents who adopted them. And they realized, I think, like most people in that position, that if they were going to give her a home and not just a house, that they were the ones that would have to adapt. They would need to acclimate into a new home, to learn not to simply raise her in their culture, what they were used to, but also to help her to appreciate the racial dis- her racial distinctions as well. So that means that they had to learn and also serve some food from her racial heritage. They had to learn how to do hair differently. They had to be willing to have some different styles of music playing in their house than what they were used to. But they didn't see it as a threat to who they were. They saw it as an opportunity to love who she is. Why do we see other people as a threat to who we are? I know who I am in Jesus. Who they are will not change who I am. But how I love them can help Jesus change who they are. This is the same in church. To make this a home, we must be willing to acclimate. I'm not talking to the concepts of the world or to the culture of the world, but to all the people that the world will bring into our world. See, a home requires a people who are willing to love beyond themselves. Love your neighbor beyond yourself. But I get it, this is difficult to do, isn't it? It's why we need to be a people of prayer. It's why Jesus said his house in Mark 11, his house was going to be called a house of prayer. I think probably all of us are okay with that. I, I think it's, it's all right. We probably think it's all right that we go to church to get prayed for. But to make it a home, we need to work out of being activators of prayer, not simply receivers or recipients of prayer. I think that the truth is so much of our life and our modern Christianity is focused around being the recipient and the beneficiary of someone else's prayers. When we're sick, we want someone to pray for us. When we're going through it, we call a friend to pray for us. When, when, when we need a breakthrough in that relationship or in that marriage or at that job, we want someone to pray for us. Can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. That's what we should be doing because prayer works. Because prayer changes things. But Jesus said his house, his house should be called a house of prayer. Not a venue for prayer, not a store where I go to pick up some prayer when I need it, but a people who activate prayer as a part of being a home. Galatians 6.2 says we should carry each other's burdens. Come on, when we activate prayer together, we let people know they don't have to carry it, what they're going through. They don't got to carry it alone. We activate faith on their behalf, and hope rises, and the impossible becomes possible, and the king of glory shows up with his presence because where two or more begin to agree on something, Jesus rolls up, and we stand with God, and we watch him destroy the work of the devil against this man or this woman, and we let them know that they don't have to be perfect because the one we're praying to already is perfect. There's a release in that. See, my friends, when we pray together, we should be praying together. 
When we pray together as a people, it should not be like a moment of silence at the ball game. Would everybody please rise and bow your head? I'd like to have a moment of silence. That's awesome at the ball game. But we are the church of the living God. We are the temple of the almighty God. The spirit of God dwells within us. The power to affect reality lies within our midst. James 5 says, if anyone's sick, let him call, to, let, 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 let him call the elders of the church so that it can anoint him with oil and pray over him. And the prayer offered up in faith will make the sick person well. Because when we get together, there's powerful and prayerful and prayer is powerful and effective. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, Man, I've already given you power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. But there are some things that will only come out and change when we pray and fast together. There are some things, come on somebody, there are some things you're going to be able to change in your kid's life. And then there are some things that we all going to need to get together on. There are some things we're going to need to get together on and stand and fast and pray until that demon, until that deception is broken. That's why it's powerful. That's why it's important we pray together. What a great lie the enemy has gotten us to believe. Well, I don't really know how to pray. I don't really feel comfortable with it. I'm just not that good at it. My friends, it's not the formula of prayer that makes a difference. It's the focus of prayer. It's coming to your daddy and just talking to him. In your own vernacular, using your own words, stumbling through it. It doesn't need to be religious. It doesn't need to sound like the archbishop or the archdeacon. Just be you. Come on, toddlers know very few words, and yet parents don't withhold food or toys or nourishments from them because they don't know the right word to ask for it. My dog Harlow can't speak a word, but when she comes and sits in front of me and starts whining or crying, I know what she wants. So, if we can know what a toddler wants and not withhold, and what a dog wants and respond to it, how much more will our infinite, all-knowing, omniscient God respond to those who come to him and simply give him their attention? That's why Hebrews, 6, uh, Hebrews 4.16 says, let us, mm-hmm. let us, mm-hmm. let us boldly go to the throne of grace. Not me, not just you, let us boldly go to the throne of grace so that we can get help in our time of need. And my friends, when we example it, the orphans at heart will not merely be recipients of its answer, but they will learn the beauty of it and the place it has in their home. And it will remove fear of an angry father God and introduce them to the love of an Abba Daddy. This is why we have pre-service prayer. It's why sometimes we ask you to stand and reach out your hands to join together. It's why sometimes we have people come forward and anoint them with oil because prayer works and because a home is a safe place to take a risk. You're in a safe place to take a risk. I'm going to fail. You're going to fail. He never will. The answer may not be on this side of the veil, but the answer will always come according to his word. And finally, we're going to close in just a little bit. But to be a home, my friends, we must work out being a community 
that is found in the construction of faith, not in simply the deconstruction of past experiences. There's such a trend, such a trap, such a lie that is permeating the modern church in America to deconstruct our faith based on negative experiences with church or with people or even with our disappointment with God. Margo, one of our worship uh, leaders, she and I were just talking about this the other day, how easy it is to slip into that because of the pain or disappointment or bitterness, especially when we don't reconcile with the offense that we talked about last week. We stuck in the trap. And I get it. The we, the church, including me, have made it easy at times to be offended because we put building church over loving people. Because we've allowed, and I've allowed many decisions many times, my insecurities, my brokenness to hurt people. I've told you plenty of times before, my greatest mistakes were never made out of ignorance, they were made out of insecurity. I knew better, but I just wanted to be liked. I didn't want someone to be upset. I wanted to be thought of more highly. It's easy because the church has been making people dependent on a service and a sermon rather than a savior. And all it takes is a few months away and not get, being able to give you that for that trap and that lie to take root, i.e. the pandemic. And add on top of that the times we've been hurt by harsh legalism or let down by people that we think should have known better or maybe even gave those promises and principles of God a try but they really didn't work out the way that they were presented to us. So we begin to deconstruct our faith. Which honestly, if we're honest, is so appealing because it makes us feel better. It helps us to deal with this sense of pain. It justifies our disappointment. It soothes our soul. But I gotta be honest with you. It's a little bit like amputating your foot because you have a broken toe. Like, you're not going to die. You're going to live, but it's going to be a lot harder to get through life. This is what happens. And don't get me wrong. We do need to uproot and tear down some things. There are some, that's why we're changing things. It's why I'm changing who I am and Danielle changes who she is and our team continues to challenge each other and not allow our pettiness or our problems or our own brokenness to rule the day. We have to keep changing, keep submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. Why? Because there are some things that need to be uprooted. There are some things in you that need to be torn out. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. It's why God put him inside of you as the temple. Because the Spirit convicts and guides and sanctifies. That's the beauty of it all. I love Jeremiah 1.10. God says, I've given you the power to uproot and to tear down, to build and to plant. But the key is this. We do it from a place of first constructing faith and truth and light. We do it first from the place of constructing faith and truth and light. Over the years, Danielle and I have refreshed the paint on our walls a few times. And the truth is, you never know how dingy the paint on your wall is, come on somebody, until you put up the new coat. 
And then you realize, well, that old coat is dirty and faded. Come on, somebody. It, 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 the, the shines off of it, it's become, it, 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 it's become all a shade off. But you can't tell until you put the right color, the truth up next to it, the genuine article, then you can tell what's off. That's how we uproot things. The issue is, my friends, we cannot start from us and uncover him. Our pride, our ego, our pain, and our comfort level will never let us do it. This is what the Pharisees tried to do. They tried to start with themselves and figure out Jesus. There's this moment in John chapter 8 where the Pharisees come and they go, uh, excuse me, Jesus, our father's Abraham. Are you greater than him? And Jesus drops a bomb on them. In verse 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I am not a grammatical genius, but I know those tenses are wrong. It should be, before Abraham was, I was. But he's not saying that. He is making a statement about who he is. He says, before Abraham was, I am, I am. I am Jehovah. I am. He is using the name of God. I am, I am. I am the one who was and is and ever shall be. Man, I was the one who called Abraham out of his, out of his country to a new land. I was the one who gave Abraham a son. I was the one who met him up on that mountain. I was the one who delivered him when he was down and out. I was because I am. That's why they try to kill him. They stop right there and stone him because there is no mistaking who Jesus is saying he is. I'm God. So when people try to tell you Jesus never claimed to be God, they haven't read the Bible. What, he, what we have to understand is the, re the reconstruction of who they were had to start first with who he is. Same with the woman at the well. The woman of the well in John 4, she starts from her theological perspective. Well, I know you believe we worship there. We believe we worship here. And Jesus stops her. Verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God that was standing in front of you and who it was, who I am, I would give you living water. He was saying, lady, you'll never get to me from you. You got to get to me from me. I love the juxtapositions of these two stories in the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 11, many of you may be familiar with the story about the Tower of Babel. The Bible says they started with bricks that they had made. It's what they made with their own hands. They started out with what they could do, what they had made. And they tried to take what they could make and reach God with it. The Bible says it brought destruction and separation. Because that's what will happen when we start with us and try to figure out him. But the other side, there's another story in Nehemiah chapter 4. When we recognize that Nehemiah was called to rebuild Jerusalem with burnt stones. By the way, stones come from God. Bricks come from man. When we take what God has given us. And start to reconstruct it. He used the burnt stones, although they were burnt, although they were broken, although they had gone through it, although they had a problem. Do you know why he used the burnt stones? Because those stones were Jerusalem. 
They were Jerusalem. They were Jerusalem. He understood the burning was a result of the enemy, but it had no power to recategorize those stones. He didn't discard them or deconstruct them, but renewed and restored what was once broken in that community. You and I are burnt stones. We are broken and battered by the enemy. And yes, sometimes we're scattered and sometimes we're chipped. And sometimes the, the fire that was on us got under the stone next to us. But we are what makes Jerusalem the city of God. We are the stones of the temple of the almighty king. Come on, the truth is, it's like parenting. When we try to parent from a place of, I'll never be like my dad, I'll never be like my mom. How many of you know we end up in error on the other side? Because if your parent never gave you anything, and you're like, I'll never be like them, and you give your kid everything, you're going to have a spoiled brat. Because the starting place was pain and not truth. This is why, my friends, we are called to be a people of the word. When we talk about the word, it's not merely the boundaries that we follow or the promises that we believe in, but the word is who Jesus is. It is describing him as we've been looking at in Forge. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. And then the word took on flesh and started to walk among us. So when we start with our stells, we're starting with our flesh, not the word made flesh. And it produces a life of wood, hay, and stubble. And it's easily burned up in the fire of oppression, the fire of disappointment, the fire of offense, the fire of negativity, the fire of CNN, the fire of Fox, the fire of politics, the fire of... It will burn up. That's why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3... That we, the church, the household of God, need to be a pillar and a buttress of truth. Built on his word. Why? Because the reality is our foundation matters. It's why this text says you can't build on any other foundation than Jesus. You don't start with you and get to him. You start with him and you understand you. That's why Jesus said there's a rock and a sand you can build on. Both of them you'll be building, but what you start on matters. Let me break it down for you for just a moment. After the law, after the fall, humanity had the law of conscience. There was no written word, there were no written rules, no written law. It was the law of conscience, but even that we couldn't hold up. The law of conscience is this, and we all break it every day. There are things we know we shouldn't do, and we still do them. You know, you shouldn't have that third donut. Come on, somebody. You're still going to do it. You know, you shouldn't lie to your boss about why you ain't coming in today. You're still going to do it. You know, you shouldn't speed, but you still put the pedal to the floor. That is the law of conscience. That's why everyone is a sinner. Because whether they know the law of Moses or not, the law of conscience is on everyone's heart. And we sin. So God said, well, you can't even hold that. That's why, by the way, I just want to follow my heart. No, you don't. Because your heart is telling you to eat the third donut. So God gave us the law, his rules, so that we could feel better. I know rules to follow. But then the religious crowd turned them into bondage, and bondage breaks people. And so we get hurt and disappointed, which is just what the enemy wants. 
So God had to send Jesus, the living word, so that we could see and know. But he didn't just send Jesus, did he? He sent Jesus and his church to go and make disciples. And he will be with us as we go. It's why we need the word to construct our foundation. Not the latest church growth fad or trendy theology. Or not trying to not be what the church experience was before. But rather what the church is meant to be today. We are called to be a people that construct our lives, our experiences, our expectations, and our interactions with faith. And faith is belief, trust, and obedience. Believe in what God's word says, obeying it, putting feet on it, and trusting that God will make the difference when we can't. That's why Romans 1.17 says, the righteous shall live by faith. Not the perfect, not the people who all have it together, but the ones who are trying to apply God's word, it takes faith. Who do what Jesus says, who do what Jesus did, and who do what Jesus is doing. Because, my friends, faith is not an agreement of beliefs. It's actively doing what Jesus is doing in every and any environment. It's taking Jesus at his word and applying it to our lives. It's based on his word, his ways, and his, and his will, period. It's actively getting our hands dirty. It's looking for those women at the well encounters and not thinking that they're an intrusion. It's finding time in the busyness of our life to sit with our Zacchaeuses and help them find the way. It's loving on the one that everyone else calls a leper and realizing without the grace of God, we are lepers too. That's why Psalm 20 verse 7 says, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. But this church, we all trust in the name of the Lord. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, with just a small bit of faith, we can, just a mustard seed, a little bit. Come on, you, can you get a little bit? I'm not talking about a mountain of faith. The, he, he juxtapositions these. He says, with the smallest seed, you can say to the biggest obstacle. He doesn't say with the biggest faith, you can say to the smallest obstacle. He said with the smallest faith, you can say to the largest obstacle, move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Because faith ultimately is the channel that of intimacy between us and Jesus. It's what connects us. Ephesians 2.8 says, by grace, through faith, we get to know Jesus. It always starts with him. Faith always connects us with him. Faith always helps us to reveal him. And faith always positions us to glorify him. So here's the truth. So we build a home of faith here. So that when the storms of life come, and the houses that are built on sand come crashing down, we will have a home for the homeless. We will have a home for the orphan that lost everything. We will have a home without judgment, without prejudice, that says to all people, come, find the king, experience his love. You don't have to worry anymore that the ground is not solid because the ground is solid here. Enter in 
Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. But can I be honest for a moment? I've been saved a really long time. I've been pastoring for over 30 years. But without the Spirit, and without prayer, and without the Word, and without faith in Jesus, there will certainly be people that my flesh will say, there's no room in the inn. I just got to do what I got to do and protect my house. One bad apple spoils the whole bunch, girl. But my God is a father to the fatherless, a protector of the widow, a God who settles the solitary in a home. Connect Church, come on, let's be that home. I'm not trying to be the coolest church, the trendiest growth patterns, sing the most relevant songs, we've done all of that. You know what I want to be now? I want to be that home. by the person who had all the experiences that we had, and by God's grace, you're still here? Come on, somebody. By God's grace, you're still here. Because you had them. But they maybe didn't take the same path you took. But finally, the sand underneath their foundation fell, and they come wandering in, or they come wandering to see you at your marketplace, or you run into them at a Starbucks, or you stop next to them, or you're eating lunch next to them at Chipotle. Whatever it is, you have created inside of yourself a home that sees them with sanctity, that ministers to them with the love and grace of the goodness of God, that has been intimate with the love of God, so you have the love of God to share, that has been praying for brotherhood, breakthroughs that's been praying for the widow and the orphan and the leper and the woman at the well before we meet them so that the things inside of us that would try to protect us are changed by him and this stoic house finally becomes an open home if you're an orphaned heart welcome home if you've lost it all and you wandered in here today, welcome home. If you're lost and lonely, if you've been hurt by me or by church, by religious people, by legalism, by being disappointed with God, welcome home. You've got a place. You don't have to figure it out. We're going to let you be like Thomas. But I promise you, you keep showing up one day he's going to show up for you. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Come on, let's pray. Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah, my King. Church, I'm just going to pray over us right now. And as I pray, I'm going to ask you if there's just some things that resonated you in this sermon that Jesus wants to work out of you or maybe work into you, that you just take a moment while I'm praying over you to you ask and pray to God just in your own language. Just say, God, I, 
I want to be that person. God, I know I'm not. God, my prejudice gets in the way. God, my politics get in the way. God, I know that my will gets in the way. God, I know my pain helps me uh, and hurts me, and it keeps me from seeing who you are at times. My comfort level means that I'm not comfortable with these type of people. I'm not comfortable with that type of thinking. I'm not comfortable with those type of, that type of music. I'm not comfortable with those people being around, and God changed me from the inside. Holy Spirit, that's our prayer today. Daddy, not for us to be a great church, but for us to be an amazing home. A home that is open and welcoming to your spirit. That flows with your fruit. That ministers with your gifts. That loves with your love that sees people through the sanctity of the grace and forgiveness that you have given each and every person. God, I pray today that you help us to become a home. Come and dwell inside of us. Let this verse be resident inside of each person here that you pour out your Holy Spirit in such power, in such strength, in such reality that gifts are unlocked today. Lord, as they start to go home on the way home, that your spirit starts to overflow, that new languages start to come out, that in the middle of the night, gifts just begin to explode inside of them, Lord God, that joy beyond joy begins to flood as they rise up in the morning that fruit that they've never experienced or that's been dried up for years begins to be growing in like a harvest in a bounty in the name of Jesus you said Lord God if we abide in you Jesus much fruit shall we bear much peace shall we bear much joy shall we bear much love shall we bear much goodness shall we bear much patience shall we bear much kindness shall we bear much self-control we will bear Lord God pour out your fruit in our lives Daddy, we don't want ordinary church services. We don't want this place just to be a house. We want our lives to be a home. So Holy Spirit, do whatever you need to do. Break down what makes us uncomfortable and help us to love people beyond ourselves. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if that's who you want to be and you can stay in agreement I'm going to ask you to say amen like you mean it. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Amen, 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 hallelujah. Hey, church, thanks for giving me time today. I know I took well beyond time. I just wanted to finish this series and hope inspire you. You know, we put giving at the end of the service because we don't want people to feel like in the middle of service, they've got to pay for what they're getting. We want you to do this as a response of worship to God. Like this is just part of what we've got. There's only a few handful of things that we have that we get to give to God. Our time, our tithe, our talents, our treasures, our testimony. That's all basically we've got. But he made a home for you. But he made a home for you. 
and he asks nothing in return but the opportunity to worship him back. And when we give, it's not just part of building this home for others. It's a part of us saying to our God, thank you. All I've got is a little, but I will take the little and I will worship you a lot with it. And there's so many ways that you can be a part of worshiping God with the giving of your offerings. I know on the screen, they'll throw it up there. There's this offering envelope. You can always fill this out. You put cash in there or check. You can give on the QR code. You can give online, all that stuff. If you're going to give with a check or an envelope, you can drop it in those kiosks on the way out. But church, don't just give out of obligation. Give out of a passion for worship. When you put it in, whether you are doing it on your phone or you're dropping it in, Holy Spirit, come on. Daddy, we're giving this to you. Multiply it for your glory. Lord God, this may be like the widow's pence. This is all I've got, but I'm giving it to you with everything inside of me to say thank you. All I have is what I've got, and I'm going to give it to you because I praise you. Ha, I love our God. Come on, stay with me. I want to pray over you. We're going to go. I love God. Church, thank you. Thank you for being willing to give God a go. Thank you for being willing to say yes to being uncomfortable. In the words of David, I can be a whole lot more undignified than this to praise my God. It's not about my dignity, it's about his. Well, I'm going to pray over you. Father, we know that prayer works. And so we pray together today. For your kingdom to come and your will, your word, and your way to be done in our lives. Let the power of the Holy Spirit be all the, the, the immensity of our God, the glory of our King, shine in us and through us into the world around us. Help us to see you like we've never seen you. Love you like we've never loved you. Open our hearts and our ears and our lives to what your will is. We trust you. We surrender to you. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come and be glorified in our midst. And may the Eagles beat the 49ers. In Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen. God bless you guys. E-A-G-L-E-S is what I'm talking about. Some of you other fans, you already agreed, so there's agreements. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.